Have you considered a career in global health or even just a week or two of practicing abroad? Then this is the episode for you. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. We talk a lot about side gigs on this show. So if your side gig or even your main gig is a medical technology product that you want to pitch, or you're even in the early stages of product development, you could benefit from consulting with Charm Economics. They use government data, peer-reviewed journals, and trade literature to support and enhance your business model at all stages. Whether an early stage pitch deck creation, return on investment modeling, or peer-reviewed article production, they can help. See how Charm Economics can transform your business development today so you can focus on building your product, growing your network, and implementing your vision. Check them out at charmeconomics.com. Dr. Sarah Labuda, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, Brad. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So rather than me introducing you with all of your credentials, we're gonna I'm going to have you introduce yourself because you have such a circuitous career path, which is, you know, the reason that you're on the show today is because you, you, found, you found your calling and you help other people do the same. So, and because it's only a half an hour show, I'm going to have to ask you to give the short version of it. So what is, yes, what is a short version of your career path to where you are now? So the short version is I am a pediatrician, pediatric infectious disease specialist, and I've practiced full-time public health now. And I've done, at this point, two fellowships and a master's in public health after I finished residency. So I've done over 10 years of medical training and postgraduate training, I think 13 and a half years total of school at this point. So I have worked in clinical medicine, both domestically and internationally. I've done locum tenens. I've been in private practice. I've done academics. I've also worked full-time in public health, both domestically and internationally. So I've done just about everything in the books that you can do in a medical career at this point. And just today, I had the realization my medical school posted that the class of 2027 had their white coat ceremony, which means I started medical school 20 years ago, basically today. So it's kind of amazing to me that in those 20 years, all the things that I've accomplished, I was just thinking about it all today. So I've been around the block. I've done a lot of things. (laughs) And what I'm excited about now is using all those experiences to help students, trainees, and especially early career physicians who are interested in integrating global health into their careers. I help them develop strategies for short-term, long-term, intermittent uh, global health experiences whatever fits best into their into their career, into their family plans, things like that. I like to work together for integrating all those things together. So this is in great contrast to me, who did zero fellowships and right out of residency, I've been at the same job ever since. So you're, but yours is a lot more interesting to talk to and I'm, talk about it and I'm sure experience. Although, you know, I did spend four weeks doing a rotation as a medical student in Suriname during ENT, doing ENT, a country that not many people have heard about. There's this group called Global ENT Out, Outreach. So I was actually planning on doing global health. And yet here I am in the suburbs of Long Island, doing the opposite of global health. But it's definitely something that I may be you know, interested in doing in the future. So I'm looking forward to learning, learning from you today. So, so let's start out with like the fact that you help people integrate the possibility of global health into the career, into their careers. And what we talked about with the show is this requires a mindset shift. And 
to me, that's very, that's like, that's very nebulous, right? A mindset, a mindset shift. What do you mean by that? So I've had, I would say two big realizations, two big mindset shifts along the way of developing this career that really helped me continue on my path and figure out that sort of accept that what I'm doing is okay. I wouldn't have expected that to be the biggest thing that I needed help with. But one of the big things when I was finishing my ID fellowship, I was at a conference. I was about to start a new job in a completely different field. I was moving from clinical medicine into full-time public health. And I was telling someone who I had literally just met that I don't know when I'll find my forever job. And she said, I've just met you and I can already tell you're not a forever job kind of person. That was such an amazing realization for me because I thought there must be some secret that everybody else knows that I just don't understand because every time I get in a job, I'm excited to learn something new, but then I'm also equally excited to plan for what's next, what's new and different, what am I getting to do next? And so that's where I have found that public health is a great match for me because I can be working on multiple projects at one time. I've been able to live in international settings with all the challenges that can bring, like right now with internet issues. (laughs) This is just the sort of thing that happens all the time when you're working in global health. And so that was the first big mindset shift. And then I would say the other big mindset shift for me was just that I had to give myself permission to allow myself to, to be okay with this and that I was the one holding myself back. So, so it's sort of, it's very related, but it was two separate things. I realized I was the one holding myself to what I imagined were other people's expectations of me. And so that was a huge mindset shift to realize this whole time that I felt all this stress, that I was doing my career wrong somehow, that I was making decisions wrong, or that I might be... Disappointing some people. Yeah. Somehow making bad choices. (laughs) I might be disappointing someone, but who's even keeping track, you know? Like, It was all just me sort of putting that on myself. So whenever I realized I could give myself permission to be okay with the choices I was making and that I'm not a forever job kind of person, putting those two things together were the big mindset shifts that that have freed me up to sort of realize I can piece together a career in a way that is the most impactful for the people I'm serving as well as most satisfying for me. And so that's how I prioritize the decisions I make in my career now. That actually brings up something that we talk about a lot in this podcast, and that's hedonic adaptation, right? Like you get used to anything and you get bored of anything and it stops being interesting. It stops being fulfilling, right? And so that's why one of the reasons that I think burnout happens is because we become these like automatons seeing the same problems over and over and it stops being as stimulating. But you found the solution to that is you just, when that happens, All right, great. What's next? Who else can I help across this interesting world? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I've been so lucky. I've done it in multiple ways, too. I started out because when I started out of residency, most people, I think, work so hard to get into medical school and maybe they really are satisfied by their job afterwards. And for me, I was super lucky, but also just everything sort of fell into place. I got accepted into medical school when I was in high school. I was in a guaranteed admission program. And then I got straight into you know residency. I was 29 when I finished medical training, got my first job and thought, all right, I've arrived. Here it is. And then I didn't like it. I did not like being a general pediatrician. And that was the most devastating thing. I call it my quarter life crisis. You're clearly a terrible person if that didn't work for you because you took someone else's spot 
I know. I felt so guilty. I felt so much. I had major burnout after residency, plus the guilt that I didn't even like the work I was doing. <laughs> so, so that was a huge experience for me. And I found these short-term volunteer international trips were really the things that motivated me to keep going day to day. And at some point I realized I could get a master's in public health and focus in global health and that there was a real career option out there. But it wasn't even until I started the master's in public health program after I finished residency that I fully admitted when I submitted to my master's in public health program, they asked, you know, what is your career interest so that we can match you with an advisor? And I said, I wanted to do pediatric infectious disease and work in global health. And that was the first time I'd ever said it out loud or shared that with anyone. And I was embarrassed, honestly, because I was like, this doesn't really exist. This isn't a thing. They literally that day matched me with a PID person who did global health for her career. And so I was shocked because it took me until I was, you know, 30 years old before I even said out loud what it was I actually wanted to do with my career. And then immediately found out like, oh, it's actually okay to say this out loud. Okay, this is kind of an option here. Not only okay, it's amazing. I mean, if you think about how many people <laughs> we impact on our in our work, it's like one visit per person. But when you work in global public health, like the impact is tremendous. Why would that be something that you feel like you should be or would be like, would be not okay? It just wasn't what I expected of myself. Like I said, it took me so long to get around to that mindset of giving myself permission that I thought I was going to medical school, that I was supposed to be a doctor and I was supposed to like being a doctor. And that was all, that was what my life was going to be. So it just took me a long time to let myself kind of change my mind. <laughs> so then what is a pediatric infectious disease global health doctor do? So interestingly enough, I currently don't even see pediatric patients as part of my job. I help with a tuberculosis program and I, most tuberculosis patients in my jurisdiction are 65 and over. <laughs> so I, I work at the project level. So I'm helping, as you just kind of said, in public health, the best analogy I've heard is that in medicine, it's like a person standing by the river and seeing people float by and pulling out those people one by one from the river. And in public health, we look at the problem and we think, what's going on upstream that all these people are falling in the river? So you go upstream and you repair the bridge or do whatever it is to prevent the people from falling into the first place. And so that's what my job is now is getting to both help with the patients in the clinic, make sure we have all the resources needed to treat tuberculosis one patient at a time. But then I also get to help manage the entire program, educate healthcare workers about tuberculosis, make sure that our system works well with access to medications, coordinating with our laboratory, and then also getting to do a lot of quality improvement. So look at ways that we can continue to improve things by analyzing data, looking at where we have gaps and where we can address those needs. So I'm getting to do a little bit of all of it by working with tuberculosis right now, both at the patient care level and at the systems level. So when, when people are, excuse me, when people are looking to go into public health, like the, you're like a career coach for people that are looking to either go into something short term, midterm, long term. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what do you think that people are really looking for when they're looking to put themselves out there like? Well, I think when I started, I had no idea, like I said, that global health was even a career option going into medicine. But I can see now that when I started in medical school, the very first organization I got involved in was definitely a public health organization. I just had no idea what public health was at the time. So I was helping 
with rural medicine in Central Texas linking patients and rural populations to local health resources. And so I think what people look for in global health generally is either Sometimes it's the adventure of getting to live and work in resource-limited settings where work is just more challenging. So it's also more rewarding because you're getting to save lives on a daily basis in places that don't have the resources that we have available here in the, in, in the United States for the most part. And then I think there's also sometimes just the interest in other cultures, the chance to experience life in a different way. You know, there's so many ways that global health can be so, so satisfying and interesting. And the great thing is that there's a lot more resources now, a lot more medical schools and residency programs have tracks for global health. And so from the beginning, students can develop their career, get a lot more background and information and you know, a lot more career development from the beginning, looking at to, into careers in global health. But I'm, I'm also glad that I'm around now to be able to help people learn from the, all the mistakes and the lessons I learned along the way as well. There's got to be a lot of variety out there. Oh, yeah. To different career opportunities. We'll call them career opportunities, not necessarily career paths, because like it's something like you said, with the mindset shift, it's something you can do for a short period of time or something you can do for the rest of your career. So, so what are some of the different varieties of opportunities out there? Well, the great thing is, like I was just saying, that any specialty can have a career in global health or can do global health work, whether it's short term, long term or what I call intermittent. So you can be in academic medicine and do global health research. You can have collaborators in other countries working together on research projects or on projects that are implemented and funded by government grants. So there's a lot of opportunities in academics. But then it also has all of the complications and sometimes the, you know, the restrictions, the grant requirements, publication requirements, all the things that come along with an academic track career. There's also full-time global health that you can do that's non-academic. And so this is where I always get folded into. But there's such a huge variety in the non-academic careers. There are government options for global public health. There are non-governmental organizations or NGOs that work in many countries and locations all around the world that, that are in need of medical, medical officers or other medical professionals that can provide their technical expertise to develop public health programs or even implement clinical programs around the world. And then the intermittent that I was mentioning earlier, I have come across quite a few people who work as hospitalists or work in certain specialties where they can sort of cluster their shifts and they work maybe nine months out of the year. And then three months of the year, they're able to work full-time in a global health setting on an ongoing basis that way. And then there's the more traditional short-term where maybe you have an organization through a religious group or through another community-based organization and you go for a week or so for a short-term trip to provide medical care or to work on a project in a global health setting. Yeah. I was thinking about like more niche specialties, like a hand surgeon or like a radiation right. oncologist. Oh, any of that is needed. Absolutely. Where would you find out about opportunities like that? So a lot of times every professional organization I have been a member of and that I know of has a global health interest group or committee of some sort. That's a great place to start. So I'm in the American Academy of Pediatrics. There's an entire section on global child health. I'm in the Pediatric Infectious Diseases Society. We have an International Affairs Committee. 
And then I'm also in the American Society for Tropical Medicine and Hygiene, which is the largest global health organization, a professional group in the world. And so I've been active in these professional organizations, and that's where I found a lot of my opportunities, along with during training, both in fellowship and during my public health training as well. I got lots of opportunities that way. The two most important things I always tell people, though, when you're vetting any sort of global health opportunity is to look for an organization that prioritizes your personal safety and to make sure that they are investing in the long term in the local community, that you're building capacity in some way, that you're helping to educate healthcare workers working alongside the local health system, and that you're leaving something behind. Because it is definitely possible through what we call parachuting in, just a group that drops in, doesn't integrate in any way or participate in the local healthcare system and then drops back out again, that you can actually do more harm than good. So there are definitely those two things that I would highly recommend anyone interested in global health look into when you're vetting any sort of global health opportunities. Interesting. That's an interesting term you use too, but it totally fits. No, I was just going to say there's another huge movement in global health that, that I just feel like goes hand in hand with this called the decolonizing global health movement. And so that's that just goes along with the parachuting. Decolonizing global health is the idea that local health systems exist in every country around the world. There are physicians, there are academic institutions, there are ways that we can develop and strengthen what already exists in a country to leave something behind that will last much longer than we're ever on the ground supporting any sort of global health project. And so by not Going just for the idea that you're going to make yourself feel better, like looking for the ways to build something long term. Commandeering their system and kind of elbowing them out of the way yes. to do your surgery yes, yes, yes. and then like kind of leaving a right. void when. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. And also the idea of teach a person to fish instead of give a person a fish. Yes. I always tell people my mission and my job is to put myself out of business. <laughs> I love my work in global health, but at the same time, I. My my ultimate goal is to build stronger healthcare systems in the places I work so that my presence is not needed there. And there will always be more work to be done. Unfortunately, yes. It's an unachievable goal, likely, but it is still what I always work yeah, towards. something I aspire to. So if you're considering, if one of the listeners is considering either a career or at least a, a trip, you know, they want to dip their toes in it, what are the things that they need to do to prepare for global health? So I have my little top six tips that I generally give people the things that I found the most useful and that I think are very helpful to people to prepare most of what you can do right wherever you are in your everyday job. And so one is to volunteer locally with underserved populations. I think this is a great way to get started because even I volunteered in a free health clinic in Texas while I was working in a private practice there. And it was such a stark difference because it really is practicing with lim limited resources, which is very much something you have to do in global health. It's working as a team. It's problem solving while you're on your feet. All of these skills are transferable into global health. So I think volunteering locally, wherever you are, a lot of places may even have specific opportunities to volunteer with refugee and migrant populations. And so these are really great ways to start out building some skills that will help you have a larger impact in your global health work. Number two, I always recommend people develop an area of expertise. And so for anyone who's trained as a physician, your medical background, your clinical specialty, that's your expertise right there. But specific to global health is to have an area of expertise that you can pass on and share. Like I was saying, the, with the priority of building capacity 
in a global health setting, um, every specialty has something they can offer. And so for me in pediatrics, I have worked in Haiti where I did a needs assessment of the pediatric hospital's malnutrition clinic and then was able to make recommendations based on what I observed in the clinic operations in order to improve their clinic flow and to make sure they had the resources that they needed. And then did the same thing as well for their uh, neonatal practice. So it was so interesting because in this hospital, the OB wing was completely disconnected from the pediatric hospital. And the only way that a pediatrician ever found out about a delivery was if the OB delivering the baby happened to have a pediatrician's phone number in their phone and they would call them when a problem came up. And by then it's usually, you know, it's too late for a pediatrician to do much when it's at that point. So there was a lot of quality improvement sort of work that we could do that could have much, you know, a bigger lasting impact rather than me just seeing a few patients, dropping in, seeing a few patients and then leaving again. So those are how you can implement an area of expertise in global health. Learning a language, that's a little obvious, but I think anywhere you go in the world, if you're going somewhere that's English speaking, great. And English is your first language. For me, I've learned to be at least professionally proficient in both Spanish and Portuguese. And so that's helped me a ton to have more opportunities in my global health work. I always tell people to look at what region you might be interested in to help you focus which language is most useful. For most people in the U.S., it's probably Spanish. But if you're interested in working in West Africa, you might focus on French. In the Middle East, you might focus on Arabic. In Asia, you could focus on Chinese. And Ru Russian is the other United Nations language. Those are the top six United, language, United Nations languages. And so that's often where I recommend people start. You can reverse engineer your career. So this is, I work a little, a lot more in this area, but it's, I found it very difficult because global health is not one thing, right? Like there's not one career track that you just sign up. Yes, I am global health. So what I found helpful was looking for my ultimate, you know, sort of career crowning achievement. Like what kind of job would I dream of being the ultimate job? Looking at the skills and the desired qualities that are in that job description and then working backwards from there. So I may not have 10 to 15 years experience in the field yet, but I can work on my project management skills because that's what I'm going to need to get there. You know, that was a thing I had to have for my last job that I had no experience in. I had to manage a $20 million budget. I had to, you know, monitor projects and make sure that they were implemented on time. There's all these sort of things that aren't necessarily medical skills, but can still help you a lot in global health. So by looking at what skills you would ultimately need and working on those one at a time that can really help you uh, to develop your career. I think that's amazing advice for any career that I never would have thought, actually. Listen, if you want to be the CMO of a hospital, you don't necessarily need to learn Russian. But of all the things that you've listed so far, like reverse engineering, what is my ultimate job and what are the skills that I need to be in that job? I think that's I think that's incredible advice and not necessarily intuitive. Right. Well, and like I said, I learned this after years of frustration because every global health job I could find advertised needed 10 to 15 years of experience. And I was like, I'm just getting started. Like, how do you get the 10 to 15 years of experience? And so that's how I got it was just by working one little skill at a time. And I luckily found a job as an entry point where I was working full time but I was working in chronic disease and global health. And that wasn't really my goal. Obviously, I'm an infectious disease specialist. So, but I got to help straight out of my master's in public health program. I got to develop a sickle cell screening program for the country of Angola as part of a team there. So it was 
a great first experience. And even though it wasn't my ultimate dream job, it helped build those skills of program development that I needed to keep progressing in my towards my dream job in global health. So and then the last two little recommendations I always give people, we already talked about professional organizations. I always say join a professional group. You can start with your specialty professional organization if you haven't joined already. And I can almost guarantee you they will have a global health interest group. And so that's a great place to network among colleagues, like-minded colleagues. That's always great to find your people <laughs> so you can support each other in your career development. And then finally, if you're a student or trainee, the ultimate obvious one is to do an internship or a rotation. But I think the other five points are just as valuable, if not more valuable, than just spending a couple of weeks in a global health setting so you can develop all those skills that make you much more impactful when you do get to practice in a global health setting. That's amazing advice. So we've been talking a lot about practical tips, but how about an interesting story, right? <laughs> With all of your experience, give us just one interesting story that, that you'd like to share. So let's see. I had a great and challenging and difficult and amazing experience in that first job I was just describing in global health. I finished my master's in public health and all of a sudden I was on a team that was developing a completely new program for an entire country. I, we were piloting, obviously, in one small area, but the idea was to develop newborn screening for an entire country for sickle cell disease. And so I think that entire experience, I only ended up being there just over a year, but I, we had four weeks of language classes before moving to Angola. I did not speak a word of Portuguese before those four weeks of language classes. And then the next thing I know, I'm landing in a country where English is literally not anyone's first, second or third language. And so I learned Portuguese completely by immersion. <laughs> I was forced to because there was no other choice there. And I went from, I think, being a little overwhelmed and terrified at first to not long after that. We were living in an apartment that often the water and electricity would go out, you know, like just having to be flexible with life was a huge thing I learned through that experience. And so I went from being a pretty cautious and careful person to maybe like I would show up at the airport and find someone who was driving the direction where I lived and jump in the back of the truck and just get a ride. You know, like I was younger enough at that point that I would never do that now. And I never would recommend that to anyone. But I think just that one year, I can see the huge transition that I've made from being someone who had never spoken a word of Portuguese to asking random people at the airport when I landed, what direction they were going and jumping in the back of the truck to get our hitch a ride home, you know, like it's kind of crazy. So I think the moral of that story is not to hitchhike, but it is to be prepared that flexibility is very necessary in global health. <laughs> yeah. And I would imagine it it goes a lot a long way with gratitude. Cause I was just on a flight where one of the other passengers was very irate with the flight attendant because the airplane Wi-Fi wasn't working. I mean when you're in an airplane and you've got Wi-Fi and it's not like you need to really check your privilege. And I would imagine that your global health experiences have allowed you to do that. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Whenever I remember I had the reverse culture shock, too, when I came back to the U.S. after that year. And I didn't even know that existed. But I honestly panicked when I got to the grocery store. And there were so many kinds of tomatoes. I just had to leave. I was like, why are there so many tomatoes? Why does anyone need this many kinds of tomatoes? So <laughs> it's 
it's amazing how much how, gratitude, yes, but also just your shift in perspective is enormous, I think, when you have certain experiences, especially in lower resource settings. So if our listeners want to reach out to you, if they want to find you, I, I want to warn the listeners, don't go to sarahlabuda.com. She apparently <laughs> is a very talented photographer out of Brooklyn and not to be confused with Dr. Sarah Labuda. So if people do want to find you, where should they go? I need these to find on social media, both on Instagram and on TikTok. I am at global underscore health underscore MD. And I'm also on LinkedIn. I am Global Health MD PLLC on there. And I like to post any sort of questions or, you know, any feedback that you have. I'm always happy to post responses or answer questions, anything like that. I love for my content to be participate participatory in that way. So so please shoot me a message, a DM, whatever, and I'll be happy to answer your questions. Well, Dr. Sarah Labuda, thank you so much for your time and all the amazing work that you're doing. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, this is not a doctor-patient relationship and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.